0: Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I'm your host, Amanda Bruce. Well, it's Monday of Holy Week, and we know that for most of our listeners, this means that we have a long but prayerful week ahead of us. For many of us, our music is mostly prepared at this point, all of the liturgy committee meetings are done, and Victime Paschali Laudes is practiced and ready. And yet there are still things to do. How far are we on our own to-do lists? Have we devoted enough time to prepare spiritually for our Triduum journey this week? I asked Mary Birmingham to share some thoughts about how we, as pastoral ministers, can slow down at the beginning of this holiest of weeks and meditate on the journey ahead. So Mary Birmingham... Hi, how Um, are you?
1: I'm finally well. (laughs) Finally (laughs) well. Uh, We got, uh, actually, yesterday, uh, we are uh, fully immune now because we got our second (gasps) shot 10 days ago. So,
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Uh,
1: Yes, yes, yes. So it's kind of liberating. (laughs) It's a lot liberating, actually.
0: I'm sure. I mean, the last time you and I spoke on Ministry Monday, my goodness, there was so much uncertainty. I mean, it was this time last year. It was like late March, early April, I got and
1: out of my home.
0: That's I was right.
1: With friend living with her because my husband got COVID, but <sighs> he got COVID uh, without symptoms, and mm. um, so I had been with him several days. But I, you know, I didn't get it. But at that point, we decided I'd better get out because I, uh, I've had a kidney transplant and. I needed to, my, of course, my my autoimmune uh, is deficient because of that and other issues going on. And I would be one of those high risk groups. So I was out of the home for about six weeks. Wow. Yeah, it it was was a difficult time, but, you know, it was nothing in comparison to what other people in this country have experienced. You know, I just feel very graced and blessed that we got through it. My sister uh, got it, very very sick with it, and her daughter and her two children and her husband got it, and uh, it, mild cases, but they were, you know, they were nevertheless sick, and um, so it's run the gamut in our family. Oh, and my two grandchildren got it, teenagers. So there, it's just no respecter of persons. This disease, it just mm-hmm. isn't, the, and I think the hardest part is you don't know what to expect. You just don't. But I think the worst part of it, the the worst, worst, worst part of it are all the poor people and families whose loved ones ended up on a respirator dying alone. That to me is about the worst thing that anyone could experience. And so my heart has just been with them.
0: I know to not be able to grieve with one another Mm -hmm. and to even have to not have that human contact or funeral, or funeral. funeral.
1: You know, I had a very good friend that died during this, and we couldn't, we couldn't celebrate her life. And you know, they did at a later date. But there's just something not right about it. And you know, and it's, I think, you know, Mother Teresa used to say that the poor of Calcutta were the living presence of the crucified Christ in our world, and. I, coming on Holy Week, I think that half a million people or so, I'm not sure the number now, who died and died alone from this are the, um, the death and dying Christ in our midst, you know, because it's, and I'll say more about that later because um, Christ died alone too. <laughs> and uh, so they, I think they are a real symbol for us going into to the experience of Holy Week. Which is yes, it's joyful and and we're given the image and it's brought into our presence of the risen Christ and we cannot take that away no matter what happens to us we are a joyful people and hallelujah is our song you know however we are also a broken people and we are wounded people and this year has brought that to the fore like nothing else and um, so. As I was thinking about where to go with this, um, with this, with our time together, the thought occurred to me that first of all, all the music ministers already have all their music planned. And so there's not a lot, it, there's not everything's like ready in motion. So what, what could this be? Well, I know from my own experience that um, these days are hectic for a music and liturgy person. You're concerned about the nuts and the bolts. You're concerned about um, is all the music in order? Have we sufficiently practiced? You want to be concerned about good performance, yet not overly performed uh, liturgy, but liturgy that speaks. And, you know, are all my ducks in a row? And it's so hard as the minister, you come in kind of depleted before you even get started. And so um, I was thinking it maybe just a reflection for ourselves going into this holy time. And a few years ago, I wrote this poem, and um, it's really seen through the eyes of a uh, uh, of the elect who have just celebrated a rite of election or getting ready to celebrate it. But you know, it it applies to all of us. It really does as we enter this holy this holy week. Um, So it's called, What Could Be Left, Sister Lent? I thought I'd uncovered it all. Layer by layer, I shed it all away. So what could be left, Sister Lent? Like a snake squirming from the casing of his former self and the butterfly wrestling from the safe bondage of her quiet hibernation, I stand empty. A wonderful, curious, new creation, chosen of God. Nakedly, I gaze before discernment's interior mirror. So what could be left, Sister Lent? Sunday after Sunday, story after story, decision after decision gave way to an empty, vulnerable vessel ready for Easter filling. So what could be left, Sister Lent? Like an air-dried sponge, I stand waiting. For what do I wait? For firelights illumination, for baptismal water soaking immersion, for confirmation oil, sealing configuration, for Eucharist, bread and wines, sumptuous celebration, for dying, for rising, famine, for feasting, for disease, for health. For those who are out to be one with the in, to eat, to be broken to be poured, to be filled, to live by example, to die, to be food for the hungry, the lost, the blind and the obstinate. I wait to give more of the gift already given, the sacrament of life for the sake of the kingdom. So during these final days of repentance and ashes, to renew, to strengthen and prepare for the banquet. Is there more? Could there be more? One forgotten remnant of a life, perhaps not yet surrendered of blindness, repression, be it sojourn or Passover or Exodus event. I stand with my eyes opened, my heart in my hand. What could be left? Only you know for sure. So do what you will, root out from the core, all that might keep me from the life you intend of thanksgiving, of service and praise till the end. So I think for us as music ministers, I think it's, it, it uses all the themes that we so cherish in the Triduum. Uh, to invite us to empty our, ourselves, and it's going to be really hard to empty ourselves as we prepare for this. It's re- I can tell you, for 32 years, I found that very difficult <laughs> <laughs> to empty and empty myself to enter in to give, you know, out of my out of my want, I guess, you know, to just put it all out there and say, you know, we would always pray as a choir before every liturgy throughout the year for the needs of one another, but. For this time, we prayed that that we bring the death and resurrection of Jesus to the people of God uh, through our sung prayer and to see it as sung prayer. Um, And God will do the rest. If we get so caught up in the things, um, I think that it's uh, it takes away. I, I think it's perceived too, you know, sometimes it's a fine line to cross that line from, um, from performance to ministry. I always asked myself, you know, what is this we're doing here? You know, is this about, you know, showing how great the choir is or is this about leading the community into the Paschal Mystery, into the Exodus event so that they are there, are there and it is now they are there and it is now. And I think w- that starts with us and it, it, with our own emptying, our own self emptying. And, and so um, as we take a look then at um, where we're going from here, I guess the question that we need to ask ourselves in prayerful meditation is, well, what could be left? What's still needed within me? Um, What's still needed? what are there any areas of struggle, of darkness in our lives, of, of estrangement, alienation, sin, sin that just we we, we haven't confronted, uh, that we need to really empty and ask God to fill with with Easter joy. And it's I think it's an important reflection. I think it's important to take time as even though you don't have it, I think it's important to take the time. To, um, to really look within and look within. I think there's a story that very seldom have we ever heard that I think is so pertinent for where we're going in, in, when it comes to Holy Week. Um, Adam and Eve, God put Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And they wanted to be just as powerful as God. And so, you know, they sinned. So God said, out. You're out of the garden. And what did he do? He put an angel with a flaming sword to the east entrance of the garden. Why did he do that? Because from that day forward, um, it was believed you would die if you looked on the face of God, you had access to the face of God, and you've lost it. So now he put a A sentry an angel with a flaming sword to guard the entrance so that anyone who looked upon god would die okay now merciful as god is over the centuries um he didn't want to completely keep people from the shekinah presence of god and so joshua the high priest once a year on yom kippur the Jewish people were given the privilege of gazing upon the presence of God through the high priest. Okay. And in the, what, uh, in one of the scriptures uh, Joshua was the high priest. Now you got to understand what, what would go into this celebration for weeks ahead, Joshua, the high priest would be completely purified A cl- garments He was allowed to go into the temple. His garments had to be cleaned. Everything had to be purified. He would go in and say prayers, come out again, go through the same ritual again of purification, et cetera, et cetera, to be worthy to to view the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, which the Jewish people were not allowed to go to see or be there. However, they did have access to the high priest. Okay, so there's a scripture It's in Zechariah, so Joshua's now standing in all of his beautiful glory, and he's standing before the angel in this scripture clad in filthy garments. Now, to to the Jewish people, that would have been an absolute abhorrent situation. Here's the high priest in the Holy of Holies, all he's done to become clean, and now he's just filled with filth, okay? So, what the reading says there's one coming ahead of you you know the branch the one that's going to come ahead that, that's going to make you clean so it foreshadows in that the coming of the messiah okay so it, there was no greater defilement as far as the jewish people were concerned well god gave them access then to um at least be in his presence once a year but what about the gentiles they were given nothing, absolutely nothing. So when when scripture said that salvation was for everyone, how are the Gentiles going to be saved then? How are they going to be saved? We needed a Messiah. We needed the Christ, okay? So what did it all mean then, okay? So this Joshua, which was also the name for Jesus. You know, there's no accident there. The new shoot would come and remove all sin in a single day, in a single day. So about the sword, divine retribution, it was a huge thing. Jesus Jesus came to bear the sword. He took it upon himself on the cross. He, He bore that sword on his cross. And it's not an accident that the curtain was torn in the temple from top to bottom with uh, images of a sword, of course. So all that went before no longer were those rituals needed because now Jesus was the one who would take upon himself the sins of the world. The The sin of Adam and Eve, the sin of all humankind would take place when he would bear the sword on the cross. Okay, so what does it tell us about the Christ of Holy Week? The Christ of Holy Week is the Christ who experienced our humanity in its complete and utter fullness. Complete and utter fullness. God knew that if he didn't send himself, if he didn't send his son to walk in our shoes, that we could always say, we could always say, Oh, yeah, easy for you, God, you're God, we're just humans, you know, it's easy for you to just say, embrace our suffering. You don't know what we have to live through down here. I mean, come on, give me a break. Uh, Yeah, you love us, but, you know, fix us, you know, heal us, you know, don't let us go through this garbage anymore. And so he knew he had to send a part of himself who could experience the fullness of the human condition. The fullness. So what did Jesus experience? He experienced poverty. He experienced alienation of his family and friends. Even in Mark 6, it seems that it, it would appear from the scripture that even his mother was a little bit upset with him. He experienced having to always explain himself. He experienced betrayal. He experienced every every human emotion that we possibly could every human emotion that he possibly could he walked in our shoes he knew what it meant to be betrayed he knew what it meant to suffer sickness and and uh, and and to, he stood at the bedside of mothers whose whose babies were dying and and his, you know there's one scene in which you know they talk about the compassion of christ and the compassion was such that it brought him to tears so he walked in our shoes, he, he went before us. He experienced every human emotion possible. So how does that even apply to today? Even those half a million people who died, they weren't alone. They were not alone, they were with him and he was with them. And that is the promise of the savior. It is the promise that we bring to every situation. And like I said, in my choir, we prayed before every, every uh, rehearsal. And first and foremost, we prayed for the needs of each individual choir member. We would say, what's going on in your life right now? And through the years, they couldn't wait to get there for that prayer. And we saw miracles happening all the time. And that I think more than anything is what made us an effective choir because we were bringing our Paschal lives to the music that we shared with the community and we were very tuned into their to their suffering and their prayers and even members of the community said tell your choir to pray for us i've got this going on in my family this week we even had people in other parts of the town neighbors of choir members who heard about our prayer and that you know how effective it was and that we we really did experience a lot of miracles and they said would you have your choir pray my husband is very sick etc so um we were able to, to, as a community, as a choir community, I would say we were a Paschal community. We really entered into the dying and rising. So we also brought that then to the Triduum, you know, to our, you know, the mother of all feasts, the feast that celebrates that Christ was willing to be tortured to, to die to take our sinfulness upon him. But in doing that, we join our sorrows and our joys to the cross. But I think there's one thing that is significant that I think about all the time. Um, And I think particularly this year is so pertinent. Sacramental theologian, uh, Marie-Louise Chauvet Uh, said that in every sacrament and of course isn't the triduum the mother of all sacraments in every sacrament so we're talking here good friday holy thursday and the easter vigil etc okay but every sacrament we celebrate there's a mystery that is embodied and that we have access to in every single sacrament he said what i said before that Jesus took on every human emotion, every human sorrow, every human joy, and he lived it. But at the end of his ministry, the father said, you have one more thing to do. So here's the son and the father. He said in every sacrament is the drama that takes place between the father and the son on the cross. Now we just think, Jesus was divine, so he just knew ahead of time, you know, what, what his father's plan was. But the human side of him doesn't reveal that. And in the synoptic gospels, it, we're not, he does not have that full sense of, you know, oh, I don't have to go through this. God's, you know, not going to, he's going to, yes, he had the confidence and the faith that God was going to take care of him, but he did not know all the details. So here's Jesus on the cross. He looks up to his father, the father who could send armies to save him, the father who could come down, whisk Jesus up in his arms and bring him right to the throne, the father who could say, it's okay, it's okay. But he let Jesus be in a state of unknowing. And I think we are so privileged. There is the scripture, my God, my God, Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me? In the early days of um, when they were fixating the canon, uh, the fathers that were working on that wanted to eliminate that phrase from the scriptures because they thought it showed Jesus in despair. And luckily for us, they left it in there because it shows the humanity of Christ who is saying to his father, why have you abandoned me? What have I done? You know, I thought that we were, you know, the kingdom. I thought, I thought. But the father says, there's one more thing you have left to do if you are to fully embrace the human condition. One more thing you have to walk through the portal of death alone because every human being does. And I've thought of that in relationship to all the dying this year, all those folks that had to walk through the portal alone with Jesus waiting on the other side, but that cloud of unknowing as you walk through that portal to the arms of God, you're just not sure. And Jesus had to go there first. He had to go, he had to experience death. And in experiencing it, he conquered it. He conquered it for us. So I think going into Holy Week, I think it's important for us to have that image that Jesus, like, had the same questions we do. I know. Um, for my own life, going, there, were, there were, I may have talked about this before, but we went through a period of, that it, it was like waiting for the other shoe to fall and every other day it did. You know, mm-hmm. my uh, one of my children had um, serious, serious mental illness. My daughter lost a baby to miscarriage. My other daughter was present at, um, lived across the street from the World Trade Center on 9-11. Uh, you name it, and we had experienced it in the span of several years. And you know, it, it, I kept saying, "Lord, if this is how you treat your friends. It's no wonder you have so few."
0: Uh-huh. It's
1: just like St. Teresa, you know. And I was at the point myself where, "Oh my God, my God, why have you abandoned us?" I was in the middle of comps, and my very sick son showed up. St. John's in Collegeville—they were wonderful, helping me get him into a hospital, but. You know, that's another story. But shortly after that, I I was in chapel and I just I said, I'm sorry, God, I need a sign. Why have you abandoned us? Why have you abandoned us? We're just not, we're just not seeing any answer to prayers and haven't in a in a few years. I no sooner got those words out of my mouth and I was looking for thunderbolts to come down, but my daughter called and she said, Mom sit down. She said, Flip's coming home from Afghanistan. Her husband was sent to Afghanistan and he was there for two years. And we just had no idea when he was coming home. And he's coming home, mom. Well, a little backtracking. Before he left, my mother had a great devotion to Saint Maria Goretti, and patron saint of people who experience violence. And so I gave him my her first uh, first degree relic to take with him. And, and I said, we will pray that novena that you come home safely to us. And so I'm in chapel praying. My daughter calls me and she says, mom flips coming home. And um, she says, now sit down. She says, I can't give you the date, but I can. you can count back nine days from his birthday. And that'll be the day He'll be coming home. So I'm saying, Lord, I need a sign. I need a sign. I need a sign that you're with us. My son-in-law returned home on the feast of St. Maria Goretti. (sighs) Wow. God will give us those moments. He will give us those moments. But he wants us to walk through the fire with him. And he'll give us the strength to do it. And he takes us up. You know, I always call him my 11th hour God. He takes us up to the very end, to the very end. He says, okay, now it's time. So I think going into Holy Week again, I would say, what's going on in your life? You know, where do you need God to enter in? Where do you need to see the Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God? Where in your life has there been kind of a God that remains silent who you need to have speak to you at this time? You know, maybe you need to take time to sit back and look at those areas where you've kind of given up. Oh, well, you know, nothing's going to change here. God's not. And maybe now is the time for hope. I think we're coming into a new springtime when it comes to this pandemic. It looks God willing, like we, we could be moving toward the other side of it, please, God, we, you know, who knows, but it would appear. Um, I'm amazed at the number of people my age, the elderly, I'm amazed at what I read heard this morning, 60 some percent, 69% of the elderly have been vaccinated, um, which is huge. So there are things happening that seem very hopeful. Um, but I think we have a whole lot to learn from this year. We have to, we have a, to learn what's important and maybe our petty animosities need to be thrown by the wayside. Um, I know what's near and dear to the heart of God. And sometimes we forget this is care for the poor and care for the immigrant and care for, for those who have nothing and have no voice for themselves. Uh, uh John Paul, he, He put out an apostolic letter that said, what is crucial to our spirituality is to confront the social sin in our lives, you know, the social sin in our lives. Yes, we do a pretty good job as Catholics about our personal sin. I mean, we talk about it a lot and we have it on the floor, but how often do we talk about our participation in social sin? You know, the things that keep people broken, the things that keep people down, our unwillingness to reach out to those who have no one to speak for them. Um, And that is exactly where Jesus would be if he were walking this earth. That's where he would be at the border. He would be in the pubs trying to reach out to broken people and he would be on the streets. He would be in, in the movement that keeps people of color down. And so I think also going into Holy Week, remembering that jesus took all of that with him all of that with him is are we participating in that are are we a voice are we a voice that says no more you know does our music reflect justice or like the temple prophets is it just isaiah's you know lamb blasted the the liturgists saying you know you're you're self-serving you know praise 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 is all you're doing but it's not reflected in how you're living so i guess the other question we bring to the table here if this is the feast of paschal mystery par excellence which it is that means the death in all of its ramifications, but the rising again, the joy of the resurrection, knowing, knowing that Good Friday isn't the whole story, that we go into Good Friday. That's why it's called good. We go into Good Friday knowing that he's going to rise again. Okay. But we need to bring we need to bring all of those broken people. We, we can't affect the change except where we're called to. You know, we, our, our individual response is going to be minimal, but, you know, put together with millions of individual responses and it's a powerful, powerful source, but we can do our part just in meditation and prayer. So we need to bring all of the, I am so aware in our world right now, the need for the Paschal Mystery to identify who we are, that we are people who are willing to die with Christ. No matter where that takes us, no matter where that takes us, we are willing to die with him so we can rise again. And so I think for all of us, the meditation is where am I not willing to die? You know, where are the areas I'm not willing to look at? What are the areas still Sister Lent in need of Easter filling. So I think that is the real challenge for us as music and liturgy people coming into this holy season is to say, and and it could be a reflection you even take with your choir or those in ministry, is uh, what could be left? What needs to die in me so I can be filled up again?
0: such a powerful way to look at the next week ahead what still needs to die and what a good meditation for us to to sit with this week thank you so much for your reflections and your thoughts for all ministers who are listening and thank you for your witness because it has been a true pleasure to to sit and listen to these Lenten reflections today happy easter to all of you and and we
1: got to remember that um uh hallelujah is our song
0: Thank you to Mary for her time today, and thank you for taking the time to listen at the beginning of a very important week in ministry. From all of us at NPM, we hope you have a safe celebration of Holy Week, filled with Easter joy and plenty of rest afterward. We'll be taking a break, too, and giving us time to recover after Holy Week, so tune in again on Monday, April 12th for a new episode. The recording of Calvary was produced by GIA Publications, and the theme music for this episode was produced by Aaron Shouse. Today's episode of Ministry Monday was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a holy week, and we'll see you back on April 12th.